Well, we're going to continue in our Miracles sermon series today. And if you're just joining us uh, over the last few, uh, last couple of weeks, we started this series. We're continuing in it, and we're really focusing as we start this series on the miracles of Jesus as we move uh, specifically into Easter and, and celebrate the greatest miracle of Jesus, which is the resurrection. But through this series, or later on in this series, I should say, after Easter, I want to take a moment for us as a congregation to be sharing our experiences, our miracles that have happened in our lives. And so we have a couple ways you can share those. Uh, you can uh, fill that out online at our church website, uh, or you can fill out a sheet in the back if you're a handwritten person, or you can just talk with me. But I, I want to encourage you to share any experience you might have, big or small. And we've had some submissions so far of, of healings, of, of uh, great provisions and protection. But even if it's little things, I think it's important to share these. Uh, even if it's like I lost my keys and I prayed and all of a sudden they showed up where I wouldn't have expected. Those kind of moments, we need to share those as a community. So I encourage you to do that. Do it soon because uh, we'll be sharing those uh, in the weeks to come. But today we're going to be looking at a miracle uh, around the topic of healing. And there's many examples of, of Jesus healing in the scriptures. Today it's going to be in Mark 2. So if you're not there already, I encourage you to go there. And really looking at Jesus as our ultimate healer. And when you think about uh, a miracle of Jesus healing, there's many different examples you could choose from. And typically when you think of the word miracle itself, especially with Jesus, our first association is, is, is healing. And there's a reason for that. Uh, depending on how you look at it, there's between 40 and 50 unique accounts of miracles of Jesus in the Gospels. And well over half of those instances are that of healing. It's something that Jesus did frequently. And in today's day and age, there's still countless stories of miraculous or supernatural healings that, that take place. And so we know that this is something that God does, that Jesus does. I believe that it's something God still does today. Uh, but when you get on the topic of healing, there's a wide range of Opinions, And I've learned uh, over time that, that healing itself can be somewhat divisive. I think it's because we look at, at healing as the physical act itself, and there's a wide range of theology that can come with healing. And so with any bit of uh, range of theology, you get to extremes, right? And in one extreme, uh, they call it cessationism, which is the idea that there is no healing anymore. That's not arguing that there's no healing in the Bible, but there's no healing today. So that's one extreme view. And the other extreme view would be that God must heal if you come to him with faith, that he's compelled to feel, to heal if you have faith that he will heal. And so I think like any of those wide ranges, the truth is somewhere in the middle, right? That God definitely still heals, but it's, it's really in his power, it's for his purposes and it's his, his wisdom. We're not to tell him when he, went, when he should and shouldn't do it, but he uses it for something greater than the healing itself. And that's what we're going to see through this story today, that the physical healing that Jesus displays here was not really the point. The point is to illustrate that Jesus has power over everything. Everything. And that's what we see through all the miracles, is that there is no obstacle too small, that, that God has created everything you see, everything you don't see. And everything in the natural order of the world was created by God. He has power over that. But everything we see and touch, even the way the world spins, it was, it was created by God. And you've got to love how the world spins, don't you? 
really makes your day. Let that one settle for a second. What we see here is that there's no obstacle too big for God, that, that God uses everything in his own power and his own purposes, and that this healing of this paralyzed man was, was amazing in itself, but it's not the real miracle. It's not the end of the miracle we see here, that God not only heals the symptoms, he heals the disease, and that God can make us completely whole in a spiritual way, in addition to the, the physical way. Jesus is the ultimate healer, our ultimate healer. So we're going to uh, read this account. It's in, in Mark 2. This is one of three places it's found in the Gospels. We'll look at this one, uh, verses 1 through 12. Uh, but before we read, pray with me today as we read the Word of God. So Lord, I do want to uh, just commit this time to you. We want to ask you to speak to us through your Holy Spirit. God, you are the author of truth. You are the light of the world. And God, there's so much that you say and do that we can learn from. But in this miracle today, God, I pray that you would just just teach each one of us, reach our hearts, uh, open up our minds and our eyes to see what it is that you uh, offer for every person. But Lord, most of all, it's not just about the physical healing. Ultimately, it's about the spiritual healing, the forgiveness of sins, that you regenerate each person into a new life uh, in a relationship that's repaired, that it's not just what we experience in this life, Lord, it's what we can experience in eternal life with you. I pray for all of us now that we would just reflect and revel in these truths that you would speak to each one of us during this time. So let these words be your words that you would speak to each person in the spot that they're in in the ways only you can. And so we pray this now in your name, Jesus. Amen. Let's read together. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it, and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there and thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up, take your mat, and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, Get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. Now, as we read this, I think the first point we gather from this is an important point in every miracle that Jesus does. That what he does for us, these amazing things, are not fulfilled by duty to us. He's not compelled to do them but he does them out of great love and compassion. 
It's this extension of grace to all people. Everything big and small is, is really fueled by his compassion for us. And as we start here, I think it's important to kind of take a step back and to really appreciate uh, what's happening in the story. You need to know what's happening before this story and get some context of what's going on. And so in this point of ministry, it's really Jesus kind of coming out, right? He had been silent for most of his life, and now this is the, really, the, the beginning point of his three-year public ministry. He's just starting to call his disciples. In fact, at this point, he just has four. He has Peter, Andrew, James, and John. And he's starting to grow this reputation, especially in Capernaum, his hometown, as the miracle man. And he's, he's doing amazing things in front of people, very public displays. And each one of these miracles kind of built his reputation and left these people hungry for more. And now, as we read earlier in the book of Mark, there's kind of a frenzy starting with Jesus. And so he took his handful of disciples and said, let's get out of town. Let this kind of simmer for a bit. And they went on a preaching tour throughout the region of Galilee. And so he was gone a number of weeks, maybe months, preaching to people. And right before he gets back to Capernaum, he runs into a leper in a nearby town. This is just three or four days before he got back. And he heals the leper, again, out of compassion. And he has one request to the leper. Keep this on the DL. Right? Don't tell anyone what's going on because I've got this like, huge crowd of people following me wherever I go, so don't tell anyone. So what does the leper do? Well, that's in the verse right before what we read today. That the leper instead went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. And as a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. So Jesus goes back to Capernaum, now probably more popular than when he left. And now he's gathering in this house. We don't know for sure whose it is. It might be Peter, the same house that he healed Peter's mother-in-law in. But he's back in this house. And you've heard the term packing the house. Right? He literally packed the house here. And this is just full of people inside and the entrance even out into the street. People coming to see Jesus. And they believe certainly uh, strongly in what Jesus can do. But at this point, it's questionable if they know who Jesus is. And what it really is he's coming to do. And he could have just kind of fed into this frenzy and increased his celebrity status by by doing more miracles for them and and kind of showing these public displays of his power. But instead, we read in verse 2, that he began to preach the word. Now, if they're coming wanting only to see miracles and instead they're getting the sermon, you can imagine there's potentially some some disappointment here among the crowd. This isn't the, the ticket or the show they bought tickets to. But I think this is an important point right off the top is that believing in what Jesus can do in his power doesn't necessarily make you a Christian. I think every Christian believes Jesus has power over everything, but only believing in what he can do makes you open-minded. But it's believing what Jesus says that makes you a disciple. The message of God is of utmost importance to believe as a disciple of Jesus. So he's preaching to them this word, this message. What was he preaching? 
Well, we don't know for sure, but if it's consistent with every other thing that's recorded when Jesus uh, preached to the people the word, it was about salvation. It's about the coming kingdom of God. It's about the forgiveness of sins and the hope of eternal life that was through Jesus. About repentance of your sin, turning away from that and following Jesus in his gospel, believing the good news. Certainly, this is what Jesus was preaching to this crowd today, the real reason that he came, to forgive the sins of people. And so he's preaching to these, this packed crowd, and then kind of the crazy happens. And that's what we read here in verses 3 and 4, that this group of guys, four guys, were carrying their paralyzed friend on a mat, and they couldn't get into the front door, So they decided to go around back and come through the roof. And just a little bit about these homes, all right? They weren't like our homes where they have the pitched roofs. They they weren't multiple levels. It was just one level, flat roof on top, and the roof kind of uh, operated like an outdoor patio. So you would have uh, the stairs that would go on the back. It was like kind of additional living space. And it was often made of these big, flat wood beams, was like the lower level, and then they go with like branches and sticks crossway on that, then maybe some like clay tiles. And on top of that was a thick layer of mud and grass and sticks, and it was baked by the sun. So you could walk on top of it, but with determination, you could also dig through it. And that's exactly what happened here. It's kind of a hilarious scene when you think about it. And you really have to appreciate the humor of some of these moments in the Bible. And here is Jesus preaching the word of God to the people, and all of a sudden they hear this scratching overhead, and then it kind of turns into thumping, and all of a sudden all this dirt and mud and, and sticks are falling on Jesus and the people below, and you kind of wonder what's going through their minds in this moment. Now, as a preacher, you always have some distractions to preach through. And in my life, I've had you know, feedback in the mics. You've had crying children, which, by the way, it's always more distracting when it's your own, right? You have sleeping congregants, and don't think for a second, I don't see you, all right? <laughs> but this would top them all. And I wonder for Jesus, as he's preaching, like, is there a moment he just stops? Right when it's very obvious something is happening, and if so, like when he did, when did he decide this moment was? And was there like ten minutes of awkward silence as this is happening? And you think about the people who are there listening to this coming kingdom of God, and then it's like, like is this it? Like, is this part of the thing? You know? And even the homeowner uh, themselves, they're like, yeah, Jesus said it would just be a small group of people and a silent message and how they're digging a hole through the roof. And I don't think State Farm is going to cover this one. But I think there's this moment where this, the unexpected happens, right? And it's kind of humorous for us to think about, but Jesus rolls with this and he uses it to display his ultimate purpose, why he came. And if people were there for the wrong reason, he was going to make very clear to them why they should be there. It's not just for the physical healing, but for the healing of your soul. Now, a quick word about these four friends. I think they need to be an example to us, too, because as we'll read in a moment, they all had a great level of faith, but these friends did for their paralyzed friends something incredible. And they did whatever it took to get their friend, who had this great need, 
to the feet of Jesus. And I think as an example for us of how we should be uh, viewing our friends who don't know Jesus, we'll do whatever it takes, no matter how difficult, no matter how awkward or how costly, you're going to bring your friends to Jesus. As we see in verse 5, that Jesus had seen their faith. Now, a couple of words on this before we get to the forgiveness of sins. It's first of all, there, I believe, means all of their faith, all five of them. That, of course, the four friends had some faith in Jesus, but the paralyzed man himself, when in a spot, he could not help himself. He could not walk to Jesus. And everyone has to come to that moment of humility, squashing your pride to ask for help. Not only did he have to ask Jesus for help, he had to ask his friends for help as well. But he was there in front of Jesus. The other part, too, is, is to note again, like we talked about last week, there's a connection between faith and miracles. There certainly is. But where we get it wrong is we believe that the connection is if we can believe strong enough, believe hard enough, that God will do the miracle. And that's not the kind of faith that brings miracles. But that just rests on your own strength. Really, it's, it's faith in Jesus. It's not the measure of your faith. It's the object of your faith. That only Jesus can solve your problems. Only Jesus can work in this situation. And so here they are before Jesus, believing that only he is the real solution to their problem. What we see here is that they didn't understand the real problem. And Jesus, with his great compassion, is the one who says, your sins are forgiven, when it's unclear if that's what they were even asking for. Jesus sees the real needs of people. And in a moment, he would be healed. He would walk again. But that's not what he started with here. Jesus saw an even greater need than even they were aware of. And just like all of us, we may ask great things of God, but he knows the true needs in our life. You look past our physical conditions and see the deeper spiritual need in all of us. And we see in this miracle that Jesus' power and authority goes well beyond just the physical suffering, but really penetrates to the true source of all suffering, which is sin. He said, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, this didn't sit well with everyone there. And this is where, does Jesus really have the authority to give sins? That's the question that's being wrestled among these scribes or these teachers of the law that were there in attendance. And this is just the beginning part of an ongoing issue that these experts of the law had with Jesus, some very contentious moments through all of Mark 2 and throughout the Gospels. But there's some teachers sitting there saying, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but, God's, but God alone? And now, going on from this great step of faith by this group of five, he sees this great step of doubt, doubt by these teachers of the law. And if anyone knew the gravity of the words Jesus spoke, son, your sins are forgiven, it were these individuals 
who knew the Bible in and out, the Old Testament in and out. They knew all of the theology. They knew when asking a rhetorical question like this, there was an answer. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Nobody. Only God could forgive sins. And so when Jesus claimed to forgive the sins, he was also claiming to be God. And this was the hanging point for them. They accused him of blasphemy, which is not any small thing in this culture. Now, the penalty for blasphemy was death. And they're essentially saying, you deserve to die by claiming that you can forgive sins. What they didn't know is that's exactly what Jesus did to have the authority to give sins. And interestingly, that was the civil law that was tacked on to him upon his death, was blasphemy. They did not believe that Jesus was God as he was claiming to be in that moment. And this is one of those examples where you can know all of the right answers. You can have all the Bible knowledge and, and, and theology in the world. You can know all of the right things, but never know Jesus. At some point, you have to ask yourself, who is Jesus? And the only answer that matters is Jesus is God. They weren't believing it there that day. And so Jesus knows the hearts of people, just like he saw the hearts of the people who brought the paralyzed man and the stretcher. He also sees the hearts of the people who doubt him. And so in verses 8 and 9, Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? This, again, is the authority of, of Jesus to know exactly where you are. And you can have all of the right things on the outside, but he sees the root of who you are, your heart. And so he responds with this challenging question to them, kind of a proposition, if you will. He said, what is easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. Now, in a spiritual sense, the first is actually harder to say. Nobody can forgive sins but God. But we have to look at this as, as people viewing the physical world through their physical eyes. And so I could tell you all this morning, I forgive your sins. I could tell you that, but I won't, because I can't. That would be blasphemy. But let's just say, for example, I did that. There would be no way of anyone knowing for sure if, that, if that's true, because we don't have the spiritual eyes to see if that is true. Only God does. But in a physical sense, if, if I said to you, you are healed today of whatever it is you're coming with, let's just say there's a paralyzed man here. And there's two options. That's true or it's not. And you'll be able to know very quickly if it's true or not, because you'll see the paralyzed man walk or not. And so he's now giving them an object lesson of his power and authority to forgive sins. That's why he says, I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He uses this physical to prove what he's done spiritually. And he made it clear what the greater miracle was that day. But now we get really into his power. And what many would call the great miracle of this story, which it was, but this is to prove what was happening even greater inside of this man. 
that he said to the man, get up, take your mat, go home. That's exactly what he did. Immediately he stands up. And we don't know how long this man hasn't been able to walk. Days, weeks, months, his whole life. But he did it. Picked up his mat, and in front of everyone, he walked out of the house. It's an amazing moment to prove with our physical eyes what Jesus can do in our spiritual lives. Now, we totally misread this if we think the physical healing was the greatest thing that happened that day. If you ask who else can heal but Jesus, well, technically the answer is a lot of people. Now, it's always done through the power of God. But physical healings happen in the Old Testament with priests, with prophets. It happened in the New Testament with the disciples, the apostles, and many others through the book of Acts. Many people have healed with the power of God, and I believe it can still happen today. But only one person can forgive sins. The Son of Man. And so this moment when they say, we have never seen anything like this, it's important to know what they're actually saying here. Because if you think they're saying, we've never seen Jesus heal anyone before, that's not true. You just have to go back a little bit in the, the book, or the first uh, chapter of the book here, when he had healed Peter's mother-in-law in Capernaum, it says in verses 32-33, that that evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed, and the whole town gathered at the door. And Jesus healed many who had various diseases, and he drove out many demons. We get the sense that basically the whole town has seen these miracles before, but in this account, they're saying, I've never seen anything like that. Because they saw Jesus not just heal the outside, but the inside. Jesus now forgave the sins of a man. That's what's different here. And this story really shows us that our greatest need in this life is never physical. It is always spiritual. And that's the good news of Jesus that he was preaching It's not just that you'll be instantly better, given perfect health and an obstacle-free life, but that Jesus can forgive your sins. Not just now, but forever. And God gives us many good things in this life. But forgiveness, the forgiveness of God is the greatest gift because it meets our greatest need. Now, undoubtedly, there's people here right now with some great obstacles in their life, some big struggles you're facing, and you're feeling overwhelmed. But in reality, your biggest problem is not your health, it's not your finances, it's not your marriage, it's not your children, it's not your job, your boss, your coworkers, it's not your lack of resources or your shortage of time. No, the the greatest need in your life is not physical, it is spiritual Your greatest need is to be forgiven of your sins. You have to come to Jesus and Jesus alone for that forgiveness. I want you to think about where you're at right now. Now, some of you have been a Christian your whole lives. Maybe some of you are just kind of thinking about it. You're dipping your toe in the water. But there's one great problem that faces every person that has ever lived. Sin. 
It's not a question of if you've sinned. We know that all people have sinned. And if you're looking to address that problem through your own strength, there's usually three ways you do it. And the first is just ignoring it. Saying sin isn't real, God isn't real. Well, there's going to come a day where you're going to find out for sure if that's true. And you don't want to be on the wrong side of that one. The other way to look at it is just to minimize what you've done. You say, yeah, I've done some bad things, but you know, I'm not as bad as that person, or it could be so much worse. And you start to say, you know, some sin is, is acceptable, and that's always going to be my sin. The reality is, is the Bible tells us that if you've broken the law at any point and in any way, it's as though you're guilty of breaking the whole law. Any sin before God brings to you the point of eternal separation from him and the punishment of death. The third most common way we address sin apart from Jesus is I can do this myself. I'll do enough good to outdo the bad. I'll believe that uh, I'm, I'm good just like I am. or Whatever it might be, self-justification doesn't work. The only way you are justified is through Jesus. The Bible tells us that salvation is found in no one else. There's no other name under heaven by given to men by which we must be saved. It is through the name, through the person of Jesus that you find the forgiveness of sins. See, when Jesus healed the paralytic, he was demonstrating his authority to forgive. Not everyone needs physical healing, but everyone needs the forgiveness of sin. And I want you to know that Jesus loves you, that he died for you, and that when you come to him, he will never turn you away. Only Jesus forgive your sins. Because only Jesus could be the sacrifice for your sins. And that's what we do when we celebrate communion. I'm going to transition to that time now, is it's to remember our only source of hope in this world. It is Jesus Christ, that he became the perfect sacrifice for your sins. And through him, we can be made perfect, not just in this life, but for eternity in him. Now, communion, if you're not familiar with this, is you have to ask the question, why do we observe communion? Well, the first is that he instructed us to do it. This is Jesus telling us to do this. In his last supper with his disciples, he's getting ready for the cross, knowing all that would be ahead, and he told them to observe this. And it gives us strength for today to really remember that our greatest problems are taken care of. Jesus already died for our sins, so we don't have to if we have faith in him. But we quickly forget this stuff, right? We're so focused on all of the other problems going on around us that we we forget that Jesus already took care of our greatest spiritual problem. That's why we have to do this regularly. It's why we observe it today, knowing that Jesus has taken care of our greatest needs. It's a time to remember and to appreciate the sacrifice of Christ. We know in Ephesians 1, 7, 8, that in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished upon us. It's remembering the greatest gift that we have ever been given.
And here the bread and the cup are, are symbolic of the bread and the body of Christ. It's what we use to remember. It's that, that tool to remember. Also, if you're not a member here, you know, we just have communion for those who have professed faith in Jesus. If you've not made that step, I'm going to give you an opportunity to make that step in a moment. But if you're in that spot, you're just unsure, you can just have, uh, just pass it along and, and, uh, and just observe with us um, without the bread and the cup. But this is really a time for believers to reflect, to appreciate all that God has done. And so we're going to take a moment of silence before God to really ready our hearts. And in this time, if there's anything kind of unfinished you have with God, if there's something you need to confess to him, if there's something you need to tell him, you can have just a minute or two of silence, just you and the Lord. And so let's take that moment now as we prepare, prepare our hearts to be doing that silently. Mm-hmm.